Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from a message recently preached at our church by our pastor, Dennis Fountain. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Well, Luke chapter 17 this morning, we're coming to, uh, really, we're just a Thanksgiving-themed message that I think will be helpful to us. I want to start by asking you if you've ever... um, if you ever had someone that you've called on the phone or uh, you've gone to a place where they were supposed to be and they weren't there? How many of you had that happen? Man, probably all of us have had that happen. I know a number of stories, but a few in particular that I can think of uh, that include my parents. My mom and I growing up, now, you know, um, as you, those of you that are maybe uh, 26 or older, you know what it's like, and many of you know even more what it's like to live without cell phones. Uh, some of you know what it's like to live without phones at all, and I'm not going to tell you how old you are or date you or say anything negative about that. Uh, people like Gordon, but I'm not going to say that out loud. I, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't be mean. You know what? You can recall places when you go through life without all the technology that we go through. I remember I was probably about 13 years old, or maybe maybe. 11 years old when we, when we got the first car phone. And I remember those first car phones. It was like in a suitcase. And uh, my, my grandfather worked for AT&T. And so we got this deal on this car phone that sat in the center of the car. And uh, man, I, I thought I was like secret service. And it'd plug into the lighter, you know, and it would kind of be uh, powered that way. I would go out to the car and like in the driveway of the house and I'd call the house. And my dad would answer, and he'd be like, hello. And I'd be like, is this Dennis Fountain? You know, of course, it was more like, is this Dennis Fountain? And my dad would be like, son, don't call me from there. It costs like a dollar a minute. <laughs> Sorry. Man, but I can remember times growing up when my dad was supposed to be somewhere, and he wasn't there. And you can't find somebody by just calling the cell phone. I mean, if he had them then, he wouldn't have answered it anyway. But I remember in particular, there'd be times when we would be maybe living next door to the church in the parsonage and, and dad would say, hey, I'm gonna go over to the church and I'll be studying over there. And so mom, she'd say, hey, why don't you run over? Dad's not answering the phone at the church. Just run over to the church real quick and, and give him this. All right, so I'd get up and I'd run over to the church and I'd knock on the door and no one would come and I'd go and throw rocks at his window and hope they didn't break, but throw rocks at his window and he never would come. I'd go home and say, mom, he's not there. Well, is the car there? I say, no, it's not there. Oh, all right. Well, we've got to get this to him. It's important that he gets this today. Let's go, to, let's go to the places we think he would be. And so we'd get in the car and we'd drive across town to Western Sizzlin. How many of you know a Western Sizzlin? It's like Golden Corral on steroids. And uh, we'd go to Western Sizzlin and, and my dad, he would go there. Sometimes he'd go at nine in the morning. He would have a 10 o'clock appointment and a 12 o'clock appointment and a two o'clock appointment, a four o'clock appointment, a six o'clock appointment. And they'd all be right there at Western Sizzlin. It'd be like his office away from the office. And we'd go there and Bob, the owner, he'd say, no, no, Dennis, he, Pastor, Pastor Fountain's not here. Oh, all right, well, and we'd begin just marching around town, going place to place to place until finally we get back to the church and there he is. And my mom's like, where have you been? He's like, well, I've been here the whole time. You were not here the whole time. We were here. Oh, well, I had to go to the post office, and I had to go here, and I had to go here. We all have stories with people not being in the place 
that we think they're supposed to be in. Now with technology, we can just easily call them. We can call them, where are you? I had this, last, this, this uh, trip last week and I was a couple of the days, those of you that know, and I'll show a video tonight, uh, I got to be with our, our uh, underground church planter uh, there in the Middle East, Steve, our friend, and, and then I got to be with another man who's starting underground churches in the area. His name's Chris. Got to spend time with them. And one of the days, I was trying to take them to meet up with a couple other pastors. And uh, I called the other pastor. His name's Anthony. And I said, Anthony, where are you guys at? He said, all right, I'm, I'm at such and such place. I said, okay, we're coming there. We got there. They weren't there. I called him again. Where are you? He says, oh, we're walking to such and such place. All right, we're catching the tram. We'll catch you there. We go, and they weren't there. Three places I went, and they weren't there. I called him every time. And I'm like, where, you are, you're supposed to be here, and you're not here. As I come to Luke 17, we're gonna find a passage of scripture where Jesus often says to believers, you're supposed to be here, but you're not. You're supposed to be here. Where are you? You're not where you're supposed to be. And he uses a, there's a story that happened in the life of Christ that helps us see this thought and to see this question, where are you? And it's found in Luke chapter 17. And so stand with me if you would, Luke 17 this morning. As we begin, I just want to read these few verses. Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse number 11, it says this, And it came to pass, as he, Jesus, went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered, he lifted up their voices, and ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices, and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, go, show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, were there not 10 cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give, God, to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he, Jesus, said unto him, this one leper, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. I want you to go back and look with me where Jesus answered, said, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? And where are you? There were ten of you. Now there's only one. Where's the other nine? Today, we're going to ask ourselves that question, the question of where are you? And I think we'll find uh, some help this morning, some encouragement, and I believe some challenge for this week. And so let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer and ask him to speak to us. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, why don't you take just a moment and just in the quietness of your own heart, why don't you ask the Lord to speak to you today? Just commit the time to him and then tell him that if he speaks to you, that you'll respond to him. God, I'm listening to you. I want to hear from you today. And if you speak to me, I'll make a decision based upon how you speak to my heart. Dear Lord, thank you for the day. Thank you for the word of God and how it applies to our lives and how you have a message for each one of us. Lord, I pray that you'd help us today to listen with attentiveness. Father, that we would allow your spirit to have freedom to work in us. Lord, I pray that you'd uh, take away distractions today. 
I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to tune in. And Father, that you would use the message to speak to our hearts and to draw us closer to you. We love you, Lord, and I'm so thankful for your word. And I pray that if there's someone here this morning that does not know that heaven is where they would spend eternity, I pray that you'd help them to listen and to hear so that they might know from your word how they can spend eternity with you and have forgiveness of their sins. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. If you've been a student of the Word of God for any length of time, then Luke 17 is probably no, uh, it's, it's probably very familiar to you. It's not uncommon that you would know Luke 17. But just to kind of get us all on the same page, Luke 17 in the past, the verses that we're at, Jesus would probably be um, just, uh, he'd probably be about three years, three and a half years into his ministry, just a few weeks, maybe a few months uh, before the cross. Luke 17 takes place after the raising of Lazarus. Lazarus has been risen from the dead. We know that that happened a few weeks before Jesus went to the cross. And so we kind of put some of those puzzles together. But in this particular portion, we find that the scripture opens up in verse number 11, that Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem. And he's going through the coast, the areas of of, uh, Samaria and Galilee. And so we would know that Jesus would be up here in the north, and uh, you can see Magdala right here at the top, and that would be that picture looking down at Magdala. Jesus would have been up there near Tiberias, right above there would be Capernaum, and Jesus, of course, would be traveling down. The Bible says he had to go through uh, Samaria, all right? Well, that would be this center section right here. So our passage this morning takes place somewhere along there, somewhere along the, the route that Jesus would take as he would travel from the north to Jerusalem every time. And it's along this route that our story takes place. And so I want you, as we go to this passage, as we travel the route with Christ, I want us to see what happened this morning. What took place in our passage as we start today? I notice, first of all, what I'm calling an awful existence. I'm calling it an awful existence because as our story opens up, verse number 12 introduces us to some folks. Notice verse number 12, where it says this, as he entered into a certain village, there met him 10 men that were lepers, 10 men that were lepers. And it says that they stood, uh, for, which stood afar off. These 10 men are lepers. Now, while we may know a few things about leprosy this morning, we need to know that in that day and age, leprosy was one of the absolute worst diseases a person could get. Leprosy was a skin disease and a nerve, uh, a nerve disease that attacked your nervous system. And It would cause often discoloration in the skin. It would cause deformities in the skin. Oftentimes, it would cause uh, dismemberment and disfigurement. I mean, literally body parts that would just come unattached from your body and uh, fingers that would, that would be dislocated and some that would even be, just be grotesque and fall off. I mean, you think about this disease of leprosy. I call it an awful existence because it would be miserable to have leprosy. Especially in this day and age, and you can go, I know Bill McKinney is sitting in the back, and Bill has been uh, overseas before and has shared stories with me of, of visiting leprosy camps. And many of you maybe have done a missions trip, and you've gone to a leprous camp. And man, what a, what a heartbreaking, heartbreaking existence. Well, that's where these 10 men are. It was a hideous and a dreaded disease. And not only did you struggle with the physical ailment of leprosy, but you also would struggle with the social struggles of leprosy. It says there in verse number 12 that they stood afar off. 
We need to know leprosy literally changed your life for the worse in every area. It turned your life into a doomed and a disgraceful existence. They were standing afar off because if a person was diagnosed with leprosy, they were literally banned from the community. Often lepers of the town or the village, they would have to create their own little colony without the gates. It's said that on a non-windy day, lepers could not go within 10 feet of other people. So if I had leprosy, I, this, is as far, this is as close as I could be to somebody who didn't have leprosy, like my friends and my spouse, like my kids. It's said that on a windy day, if the wind was blowing at all, you had to be 150 feet from anybody that didn't have leprosy. And so that's why the culture would push these people outside of the gate and say, listen, you now have to abide afar off. So Jesus is traveling the route that day and he comes to these men. These men who are living a lonely life, who are living, no doubt, frustrated. The law actually required that they would announce their uncleanliness Leviticus 13, 45, the leper in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent and his head bore, and, or excuse me, his head bare, not bore. That'd be bad, that would hurt. Uh, his head bare and he shall uh, put a covering upon his upper lip and shall cry unclean, unclean. I remember growing up in junior church, they would teach the lesson about lepers and have to put your finger right there and yell, unclean, 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 unclean. Now listen, that'd be a humiliating life. And that's where these 10 men were. A person with leprosy, it would completely change them. No longer could they hug their kids. No longer could they kiss their spouse. No more could they greet a friend. Couldn't go to the family reunions. Couldn't travel to the feasts. Never again, unless an absolute miracle took place, never again would they know life as they once knew it. They were a disgrace. They were a shameful person that was cursed to live in isolation. There was no cure. There was no lasting relief. There was not a way that you could ever be healed. It was truly what I would call a grotesque existence, an awful existence. You kind of get the picture of how bad things were for a leper? It was a horrible, horrible life. Well, these lepers, they realize they're in deep need. And verse number 13 of Luke 17 tells us that they lifted up their voices and they said, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. These men, they recognized who Christ was and they recognized his ability and his power. And we don't know necessarily how they heard about Jesus. Maybe they had heard about him because of the resurrection of Lazarus or maybe it was uh, the woman from, uh, the Samaritan woman from Sychar that Jesus had dealt with in John 4 or perhaps it had spread from the area of Galilee right up north where Jesus had healed and done so much work. We don't know how they knew, but they knew, to the, they knew who they could turn to and his name was Jesus. And they come and they ask him for his mercy. They ask him for his grace and they come to him knowing that he is the only solution to their situation. The phrase lifted up their voices, it means to cry aloud so that anyone could hear. They didn't just say, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. No, they literally shouted it. 
They literally, they raised their voice. Jesus, master, have mercy on us. They just, they, they bellowed it out so that anyone could hear. You know what that tells me? That tells me that they had come to the end of themselves. They had realized we are living in an awful condition, a horrible existence, and I need help. I see this awful existence this morning, but secondly, I want you to notice with me a mercy extended. We see an awful existence, but we see mercy extended. Notice what takes place after they cry out to Jesus for help. Verse number 14, it says this, and when he saw them, he said unto them, go show yourselves unto the priests. When he saw them, he said unto them, go show yourselves unto the priests. You know, it's interesting to me, just a quick thought. I've traveled a little bit uh, just recently. Coming home, my trip home from the moment I left my hotel to the moment I stepped into the men's retreat cabin was 31 hours. So 31 hours, I was on planes. I was uh, in Tel Aviv, Israel. Well, I was in Jerusalem and then Tel Aviv, Israel, then Frankfurt, Germany, and then Chicago, Illinois, and then SeaTac, and then the drive down to Yelm, Washington. I'm gonna tell you, I was tired. It was to the point, and you can ask some of the men that saw me that night, I looked like I was on drugs. My, my eyes were completely glazed over. I had only slept a few hours, and I, I was done. The, Robert picked me up from the airport, and we, he's like, are you hungry? I was like, yeah, I could eat something. Let's just pull in the Taco Bell right here by the SeaTac. And we pulled in, and, and the drive through line was really long, and I was like, let's just go in real quick so we can get on the road. I got to get to bed. And we went in, and I'm standing there, and the guy comes up to take our order. And he's like, hey, can I, can I take your order? He like stalled. I'm like, man, I know I look horrible. And Robert's there. I was like, what do you want? Robert ordered. And then I was just like, well, I want, and I'm thinking of what I want, but it just wouldn't come out. <sighs> Can I just point? Would that work? <laughs> so I, I order, I just want to, I want a nacho and give me a triple air or whatever, bean and rice burrito. Let's just do that. And the guy looked at me. He's like, okay. And I pulled out my card to pay. And he's like, <laughs> and he's doing the whole body check the whole time and watching my eyes and sliding the card. He gave me that, and then he brings the food out a little bit later, and he was like, <laughs> you know, like he was expecting me to just go berserk on him or something, but anyway, I got to the men's retreat, and I was there, and the men are greeting me, and, and a couple of them are like, hey, can we talk real quick, and I was like, no, <laughs> I love you, but I'm done, like I have to go to bed, and I went in, and got a quick shower and the guys were laughing, playing games and I, I was out. I mean, I was gone. They were like, did we keep you up? I was like, I, I wouldn't have known if the place was on fire and falling in and you were screaming in my ear, I was done. You've been on trips. If you've traveled, if you've traveled, when you're towards the middle or the end of your trip, do you wanna deal with people? No. Some of you don't even like dealing with your spouse who you're on the trip with, you know? You're like, don't even talk to me. We've been driving for hours. <laughs> so one quick thought I wanna bring out. Jesus has been traveling. Verse 11, he's traveling. Verse 12, he's approached by total strangers in the middle or the end of his trip. And yet verse 13, he responds in compassion. This is just a side thought, but... Aren't you thankful for the compassion of Christ that no matter what's going on in your life, 
he still takes time for you. God doesn't ever say, no, I'm done. I need to sleep. He doesn't pull a pastor Dennis. No, I don't have time to talk to you today. God says, yeah, bring your requests to me. Yeah, I know I've had so many others bring their requests to me, but I care about where you are. And what a blessing. What a great thing to know. And Jesus does that with these men. They come to him and he gives them an instruction. He says, go show yourselves unto the priests. I want you to notice the last part of that verse because it simply says this. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. As they went, they were cleansed. I want you to notice with me that when Jesus gave them this simple instruction, go show yourself unto the priest, it was just a, a simple instruction that he was asking them to take a step of faith. Notice that the verse does not say, Jesus said, you are healed. The verse does not say where Jesus said, they say, have mercy on us, and Jesus says, be healed. That did not happen. They said, have mercy on us, and Jesus said, here's some instruction. Here's a step of faith that I want you to take. And you know what they do? They take the step of faith. They turn and they go. And the Bible says that as they went, they were cleansed. I see them turning around, you know, maybe they're there. Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And Jesus, they were afar off. I imagine him having to raise his voice. And he says, go to, the, go to the priest. Go show yourself to the priest. And they just turn. And as they went, they're cleansed. I don't know about you, but I like to read the Bible with a little bit of imagination. And I can see them, they yell, they turn. And as they're going, Maybe one of them looks down, and as they went, that means as they're going, as they're moving toward, as they're moving towards the temple, they begin to see that leprosy disappear. They begin to see their uh, their ailment go away. They maybe maybe one of them is running, and he he notices his finger, and he opens his robe and looks at his chest, and then he's like, "Man, are you seeing this? Look at look at your leg! Hey, hey, look at that! You're hey, listen, man. They're they're getting excited, but they're on their way to the temple. Why? Because as they went. They were cleansed. You know what that is? That's mercy extended. Man, God, Jesus said, take a simple step of faith. They took the step of faith, and they're healed. They're cleansed. Man, what a, what a great picture. What a great thought that they were cleansed. This cleansed here, it means that they were healed. Immediately, they're, they're healed of their leprosy. And this would be like... <clears throat> Excuse me, one of those uh, amazing cleaning products you see on the infomercial. You know, spray on and wipe everything off. And they have some of those, you know. Listen, this is even greater than that. Some of you like to watch those infomercials. And how many of you? No, I won't ask. I won't ask this morning. Man, you watch that and you're like, I need that. I need that cleanser. I need that cleaner. I need that scum remover from the shower. I didn't know a shower could look that bright. Man, they were thinking, I didn't know my skin could look that clear. All because of the mercy, the grace that God extended. Simply because they took a step of faith. You know, there's so many corresponding thoughts here in regards to us. But the biggest one is this simple truth. That if you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're just like these lepers. You say, how so, Pastor? Well, leprosy is often in Scripture, it's a picture of sin. Leprosy is a disease that we cannot change ourselves. 
Leprosy is something that you can't turn to somebody to uh, take it away. And sin is the same way. You and I, we are born sinners. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 and verse number 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And leprosy in scripture is just like sin in our life, that we are sinners before God. There is nothing that we can do. We suffer an ailment that we cannot cleanse ourselves of, just like these men were at. And as a matter of fact, it's interesting, but we are so utterly and absolutely ravished with the spiritual disease of sin that the word of God says in Isaiah 64, 6, we are as an unclean thing and all our righteousness, the best that we could do is as a filthy rag. And we all do fade as a leaf. We're dying and our iniquities are like the wind. They have taken us away. It's interesting in this passage in Isaiah, when Isaiah uses the phrase filthy rags, in Hebrew, it, it actually is the, can be the same description when talking about the rags of a leper. The rags of a leper, those men, if you go back to Leviticus, and we won't do all of it right now, and it talks about them having to rent their clothes, and they would rent their clothes, and their clothes would just become rags, and it would be something that anybody who had leprosy, you wouldn't want to be around them or the rags that they had dealt with. The rags they dealt with would have to have to be burnt without the camp. And if you ever came across something that was a leprous rag, I mean, even if you just walked by it, you would have to go through a period of cleansing just because of how filthy and how disgusting it was. And that's what Isaiah writes about our, our righteousness. Our righteousness, the best that you and I have to offer God is like a leprous, filthy disgusting, disease-infected rag. Man, does that show us the, our situation that we're born into? We're born sinners. We're born separated from God. We're born with no answer. And this morning, the only solution is to cry out for mercy, forgiveness, and grace from Jesus Christ. The only answer to our sin is Jesus. The only answer to our sin is his forgiveness. The only answer is to cry out, Jesus, have mercy on me. That's the step of faith that God asks us to take. Just like he told them, turn and go to show yourself unto the priest, take that step of faith. You and I, we're supposed to turn and go to Jesus. Repenting of our sin, recognizing that I am a sinner and that my sin is taking me to hell and I'm going to repent. Repent means to simply realize I'm going the wrong direction. I need to turn to Jesus. I can't get myself to heaven. I must turn to him. That's what the word repent means, 180 turn. And when you and I do that, when we make that decision, here's what's great. The Bible says that when you and I make the decision to turn to God, that he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He offers complete forgiveness. I want you to just think about it this morning and we'll continue the message. When you're born, you're on your way to hell. You are a grotesque sinner just like me. And there's nothing that you can do to get out of it. But when you simply ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin and receive him into your life, he offers you forgiveness and an eternal home in heaven, completely free. You did nothing for it. You don't have to bow and pray. You don't have to do a bunch of Hail Marys. You don't have to go through a ritualistic routine of religion act, religious acts. No, you just simply take a step of faith. Man, what an incredible God that would do that.
We receive forgiveness and a home in heaven simply by putting our faith in him. And what a great picture in there, huh? You see these lepers, man, they're on their way. They're living in a grotesque environment. They're living this awful existence. Jesus comes along and they have mercy extended. But I want you to see thirdly real quick this morning, gratitude expressed. Notice gratitude expressed. I want you to see, if you will, verse number 15 and 16 in our passage, it says this. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. I want you to notice with me that as one of them is going, he sees that he's healed. And it says that he turned back and It doesn't say that with a loud voice he glorified God when he got to Jesus. I see this man going away from Christ, going to the temple. He realizes I'm being healed. This cleansing has taken place and he turns back. And I can see him turning back, maybe being a a, a few blocks away from Jesus. And he's going, man, praise God, glory to God, glory to God. And he's going back to Christ, glorifying him. When he gets to him, what does he do? He falls down at his feet. And he bows before him and he begins to praise him. He begins to thank him. Thank you so much. I see him maybe like Mary Magdalene beginning to, fist, beginning to just kiss the feet of Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. I couldn't do anything. Thank you. You changed my life. Thank you. You gave me hope. Thank you. You brought cleansing that I couldn't bring. Thank you. And he's glorifying God with that loud voice. And instead of continuing on his journey to the priest, he turns back and he comes to Christ. When he gets there, he falls down, he glorifies God, he gives Jesus thanks. And you know, it's interesting to note, Luke notes it for us, he was a Samaritan. He was a Samaritan. The Samaritans, they did not see themselves, nor did anybody else view them as the people of God. They would be a Jewish and Gentile, uh, the child of a Jew and a Gentile. They would be with them, the mixed blood and They were supposedly outcasts from God. That's what people saw them as. So from our passage, we would probably dissect that there was one one Samaritan and nine Jews. Maybe two Samaritans. I don't know, but there was at least one, and many of the others were Jews. Do you know who who you would expect to turn back and praise God? The Jews. Why? They were the people of God. They knew about the mighty power of God. And even though Jesus was a a mighty teacher and maybe they didn't believe he was the Messiah, yet they should still have turned around and praised God. And we don't read it that way, though. We read that the Samaritan does. One man said this about the situation. The Samaritans were separatists from the Jews and had not the pure knowledge of and worship of God among them that the Jews had. And yet it was one of them that glorified God when the Jews forgot or when it was moved to them, they refused to do it. Well, he comes back and he's not quiet in his praise, is he? And he lifted up his voice and he glorified God and gave thanks to Jesus with a loud voice. You see that at the end of verse number 15, with a loud voice, he glorified God. His thanksgiving and his praise is unmistakable. And what's interesting is verse number 19, the Lord says to him, arise, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Thy faith hath made thee whole. There's a lot of 
discussion about what that phrase means. Was he uh, saved then or what took place? I believe just from my own little study is that he not only was cleansed, but his body was made whole again. Here's what I believe is that as he went, he was cleansed, so his disease went away. But when Jesus said that you are made whole, his fingers came back. His nose came back. His ears came back. I don't know what grotesque experience he had with leprosy, but while the others, they were just cleansed of their disease, this man was made whole. Well, why? Here's what. God blesses. Listen, God blesses thankfulness. He blesses gratitude. That's the truth of God's word. You can look it up in the Psalms and look it up in other places that God gives an extra blessing to those people who are thankful. It may not be the same, but that extra blessing is ours when we have thanksgiving. And he tells us that this man was not just cleansed, but he was healed. He was completely made whole. As we go through this, I want you to notice, though, where we read twice in verse 17 and 18, these verses, Jesus answering said, were there not 10 cleansed, but where are the nine? They are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. In these verses, I find an ingratitude exposed. Jesus asks the question, there were 10, but I only see one. Where are the other nine? Hey, think about it. That's a logical question, isn't it? That's a logical question. Where are the nine? Hey, where are the other ones at? I mean, didn't I work in the lives of 10? Why is there only one that's come back to glorify God and to thank me? Didn't I work in the nine lives as well? And, and why is it, Jesus says, why is it the stranger? Why is it the Samaritan? You know what I see here is I see that while Jesus does recognize the gratitude of the one, it would be wise of us to realize that he notes the ingratitude of the nine. He not only notices, hey, here's the one who's thankful, he notices the nine who are not. Maybe he was thinking, why was my kindness so slighted and overlooked? Now, while I read the story of these 10 lepers, I think a lot of us could probably be quick to judge the nine. Yeah, how dare they? They were healed. What's going on? How foolish of them to not return and not give thanks to the one who had worked in their life. And we would have a right probably to say some of those things. But this morning, before we get too far, ahead of our, too far ahead of ourselves, we need to recognize that sometimes we are the nine. Because the truth is this, that God often works in our lives and we neglect to give him the gratitude that he deserves. Ingratitude is a very common sin in the lives of those of the followers of Jesus Christ. We are like the nine. We're quick to pray, but slow to praise. And it's sad to say that we, we truly have so much to praise and give thanks for. I mean, God brings so many blessings into our lives. And it would be wise of us to have an overabundance of thanksgiving and of praise, and yet we give an underwhelming amount. To maybe go and so I think about a week like Thanksgiving week, and I, I would realize that we probably would expect to maybe go to church on a Thanksgiving week and hear it preached about, well, we need to be thankful. But let me this morning just remind us very quickly of some reasons why we need to be thankful. 
Can I tell you one of the biggest is just this simple truth that if you know Jesus Christ as your savior, you are bound in sin on your way to hell, could not help yourself. But when you stepped out by faith and turned to him, he gave you forgiveness and mercy for free. You, you, are, you are not bound to religious worship and works anymore. We're not bound to that. He truly did raise from the dead. He really did. Maybe it wasn't that garden tomb. Maybe it was one similar, but we need to know this morning that Jesus really did raise from the dead and he really did that to prove that he was God. And he said, if you'll just turn to me, repent and come to me and ask me to forgive you, then I will cleanse you and I will make it just as if you had never sinned. Man, for every Christian, that's a reason to be thankful. I talked to her right at the beginning of the service about walking the streets in Jerusalem. And this year, we got to go on a tour that we didn't get to last year. And it was along the, the, the Western Wall, the underground tunnels of the Western Wall. And we went to a certain place. And for the Jews, the Western Wall is what is close to the Holy of Holies. And so as they would want to go and bow and pray, this is their semblance, it represents their closeness with God. If they can get to the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall, they, they can feel some sense or semblance of being close to God. And as you go along the underground tunnels, you find yourself at one particular place that is only 90-something feet from the Holy of Holies where they believe it would have been. And at that one place along this, this Western Wall, there's a little, there's a little prayer room and there's a spot that's about eight feet wide by about five and a half, six feet tall. And it's there that many Jews will go in groups of two or three. And they'll walk up, the lady on your far right, she's kissing the wall. She's kissing the wall. The lady in the middle, she has a prayer book and her tears are running down her face and she's just bowing and almost not banging, but just tapping her head against the wall. The girl on the left, she's reading from a prayer book. And as they do, they read from the prayer book and bow back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I'm walking through these tunnels and I'm part of my job on the tour was to bring up the very end of everybody and make sure everybody knew where they're going. And so I'm the last one through. And I stopped and I just looked and I thought, how hopeless, how hopeless the Messiah's come, and yet they've missed him. I don't have the picture. It wasn't quick enough to take it, but this is a common theme that you would see in Jerusalem with the Muslims. One thing that blew my mind, I was walking through the airport in Tel Aviv, and I had to go out of the airport to get onto my plane, and through a certain area, and I noticed a sign that said prayer room. I figured, well, it's for you know, Muslim worship or anybody that would want to. And As I went out onto the tarmac and turned left to get into my plane, I could see through windows and I could see right into that prayer room. And I looked to my left right inside of that prayer room and I saw, I believe, four men, four or five men and one lady. Two men in the front, two men in the second, one man in the back, and a lady standing in the, in the back of the room in a different segment of the room. It had to be divided. And as I stood there and watched, you know what I saw? I saw them going down and bowing and saying a prayer and getting back up 
and bowing and going back down and saying a prayer just time and time and time again. And I thought, wow, what hopelessness. You can go there to the Church of the Sepulchre. It's a really well-known Catholic site. And you can walk in right inside the Church of the Sepulchre, lines and droves of tourists, many of them Catholic, waiting to get in. And right as you walk in the Church of the Sepulchre, there's a stone slab right there. And I turned and came in the Church of the Sepulchre and the stone slab, there was one lady pouring her, I mean, just tears flowing from her face, kissing the slab because they think maybe Jesus might have laid there. You know what I saw in all of those situations? I just see hopelessness. And I'm not here this morning to, to say something negative about religion, about their religions. I'm here to say something positive about ours. We are not hopeless. Man, we serve a living Savior. We serve a real God who cares about the needs that you have, who cares about where you are at. We serve a living God that forgives all of your sin and makes you just as if you'd never sinned before God. We serve a living God that wants to meet with you every day and wants to work in your life. In every day, every day, in everyday situations, a God that says, I will give you wisdom, a God that says, I'll give you grace, and a God that says, I'll give you strength, and I will help you, and I will uplift you, and I will uphold you, and I care about you, and I love you. That's the type of God we serve. And yet, all too often, we fail to give thanks. Too often, we are content to enjoy the gifts He gives, but we forget the giver. Can I just tell you if you know Christ as your Savior, you're not bound. We're free because of Jesus Christ. What a great reason to wake up this week and give thanks. And on top of that, we, on top of our salvation, we just received so many blessings from Him. The Samaritan is a great example for us. Why? Because he lifted up his voice in prayers, or excuse me, in praises, just as he did in his prayers. He was, he was quick to not only pray, but he was quick to praise. And I love it. One man said this, instead of going to the priest, the Samaritan became a priest, and he built his altar at the feet of Jesus. The psalmist said in Psalm 140, verse number 13, surely of a surety, of a truth, the righteous shall give thanks unto thy name. The upright shall dwell in thy presence. Those that have received Christ, those that have received mercy from God, man, of a surety, of a truth, I'm gonna give him thanks for it. And I'm gonna let other, others know. We read the psalm this morning, Psalm 107, verse 8, 15, 21, and 31. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. I asked the question at the beginning. The question is simply this, where are you? I wonder where are you today? Are you the one that has turned back and glorifies God and says, God, I'm gonna praise you in the good and in the bad. I'm gonna give you thanks, not only for my salvation, but for all the many blessings that you receive. Or are you and I, are we one of the nine? Where God looks at us and says, I've worked in your life, but where are you? I've worked in your marriage, but where are you? I've worked with your kids, but where are you? I gave you strength in that trial. Where are you? I gave you grace when you least expected it. Where are you? I've provided for you. Where are you? I wonder this morning, and I'm convicted by this, that all too often I find myself in the company of the nine, not in the company of the one. That I am, the, I am I'm like the nine, not the one. 
And I hope this morning on a Thanksgiving week that we would step back and say, God, help me not to be the nine. Help me to be the one. If you know Jesus Christ as your savior, that's reason enough to be the one. But on top of that, we have so many blessings, so many things God gives us. Can I tell you, after traveling a little bit, I'm so thankful to live in America. <laughs> one of the pastors said, man, I've never been so thankful for a bacon cheeseburger in my entire life. <laughs> one lady, she was there with her husband. She said, she said, Dennis, you know what I'm going to do when I get back to the U.S.? She said, I've never done this before. I'm going to kiss the ground. <laughs> She's like, not to worship it. I'm just so thankful to be back. I love being an American. Man, listen. That's another reason to praise him. Where we live and our families and a house and a car. Well, you don't know my situation. Stop being the nine. Man, let's step up and let's be the one. Don't be quick to pray and slow to praise. Be quick to pray and quick to praise. And today, let's ask the Lord, God, help me to be the one, not the nine. As I close this morning, maybe you're here and the reason you aren't thankful to the Lord is because you don't know the Lord. And you're, a moment ago, I talked about our sin, and maybe you're here and you realize that you're a sinner and you're separated from God, and maybe today you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And if that's you this morning, that you need to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin and come into your life and save you, you can make that decision today. It's the best decision you could ever make. If you do know Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, would you just ask the Lord to help you? God, help me to be a one, not the nine. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope that this sermon was an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. If you have any questions about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.